you would open your Bibles to page 850, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I will always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, He won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and you take it in your hand. The victim commits himself to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that could be not that would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. Our text is verse 17, where the psalm ends with a word of comfort that you, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Congregation, we are thinking this morning in the context of Thanksgiving Day, we still have all of the, the Thanksgiving Day things here, and we, we had just two, uh, a real time of giving thanks to God for all his physical blessings, the abundance that we uh, receive from his hand, the plenty uh, in our celebrations too, as we uh, gave thanks. Added to the physical is, is the spiritual 
blessing that we have in Christ, the spiritual food that we partake of, and that we can do so in peace and prosperity, and that we can also have our souls nourished by it, the assurance of God's love and grace for us. Out of the spiritual abundance that we have received and the physical abundance that we experience, how do we respond? How do we respond to God? How do we live for him as a witness in a world where where many do not receive this abundance? One area that the church has seen as a natural response is to have this annual World Hunger Sunday. And it's, it's coming up next Sunday. It's a reminder of the words of Luke 12, verse 48. We who have been given much, of us much will be required. And that's, that's huge. That's that's so striking to me, and I'm sure to you too, that, yeah, we have been so blessed. So how do we respond? What is required of us? Luke 12, 48. It's no accident that World Hunger Sunday is right around the time of Thanksgiving, the U.S. Thanksgiving, the Canadian Thanksgiving. The intent is to, to transition from the abundance of Thanksgiving to the reality of hunger in the world and to help us see God calling us to respond out of thanks and faith to the needs of the hungry. So that's, that's, it's not a coincidence. It's, it's very specific. And it's not that we think to, oh, let's just skip World Hunger Sunday. No, it's, it's out of our abundance that we are struck by the needs of those around us in this world. And so the title for the message today, Hungering for Righteousness, that we as people of faith would hunger to do what is right. As Wayne said too, it's just not right what's going on. And so how can we in faith be faithful to do what is right in relation to food and hungry? As we, as we consider that, you also have received some home devotions last week, and you are encouraged to, to just use those to reflect on how we can respond. It's called Think, Act, Fast. It's just a, a really nice summary of, of some of the, uh, the, the theological, our spiritual understanding, and then the sense, too, of how we can be a blessing based on what God has done. So do take the time to recognize and and reflect and grow in awareness as we seek to do what is loving for our neighbor who is hungry. Even even with all of this and this, there there comes to us a very practical people, a sense too of, well, what can we really do? And how can we really help? And God's word to us this morning from Psalm 10 points to one very key area, and the area is the attitude of our heart. Our attitude. 
If we can change that, if we can be more open, sensitive to the needs, to those in need, then much will be accomplished as that gets lived out. So, so Psalm 10 is, is reflecting on that reality already long ago. Psalm 10 is unusual in that it has no specific context to David's life. Often when we look at a psalm, we look at the psalm writer's life and say, how did this fit in exactly? Psalm 10 doesn't specifically have that at all. We, we know it's a psalm of David as it ties into Psalm 9, and Psalm 9 says a psalm of David. And so Psalm 10 continues to express uh, God's word through him. But there's definitely a sense of, of the psalm more generally in speaking. And, and it speaks in the first 12 verses against a sinful attitude. An attitude of oppressing the weak, verse 2. The innocent, verse 8. And the helpless, verse 9. It's a more general cry to God to stop that wicked attitude and to work in God's people the attitude of love and care. As as we look at Psalm 10, sadly, the list includes attitudes that, that we do find ourselves caught up in in our culture. Psalm 10, verse 2 mentions people who are arrogant. And that, that can be uh, heard in our culture too. And when we see and, and hear people who are hungry uh, near or far away, and our thought is, well, they're lazy. Why, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they just fix it? That's arrogance. That's sinful attitude. We have that sometimes as, as we look at, at things in our culture too. First Nations people, where there are struggles, can't they just fix that? Homeless people, why don't those lazy bums just get some work? Do something. And that attitude of blaming the poor and the oppressed and the hungry is sin. Though we do often do that, say that. Psalm 10 mentions in verse 3 people who worship the God of greed, who boast about all the things they have. Have you ever done that? Well, I've got this new now. Well, I've got that new now. Come look at this. We get caught up in a culture of greed, and that blocks any sense of the needs of others and helping others. Psalm 10 verse 4 mentions people who are proud. Proud in the sense of, well, look what I did. Huh, if they weren't so lazy and whatever, they could do fine. And look what I've done. I've worked hard and I've provided for myself. No. God has provided for us. God has blessed us in his grace. And we are blessed by him. Nothing we have done. I mentioned on Thanksgiving, we have gathered up things. Like the manna of long ago. And then to think too, oh, I have done this. I'm so great. 
No. That attitude is sinful, arrogance against God. We are blessed to help the poor and the hungry, and too often we forget that. Psalm 10 verse 5 mentions people who disregard God's law, God's word. That says we are to care for the poor and needy. Just a few examples. Isaiah 58 verse 7, reminding the people, justice is to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And then again, verse 10, to spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness. Ezekiel mentions to the people in chapter 18, the godly son does not oppress anyone. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. And Jesus, uh, in Luke, speaks, he has fulfilled, Luke 153, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. That's a condemnation, too, of the wrong attitude. And Luke 6.25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, laughing at the hungry, for you will mourn and weep. So there's a reality, a constant refrain in God's word that we so easily overlook. Forget those verses. No need to think about that. Jesus, Jesus speaks of caring for the hungry often, and he, in fact, identifies with them. When you care for them, you care for me, he said. So that's a fundamental, powerful connection. Constantly, Bible speaks about loving the poor and needy, and it's sinful attitude to overlook those things which we often do. Psalm 10 mentions also selfishness, the sense of of just looking after ourselves and not others. And Psalm 10 verse 11 mentions especially, finally, people, people, we we just aren't aware. We aren't aware. We very conveniently ignore uh, the needs of the hungry. And, And Psalm 10 verse 11 picks that up. And says too, we think, well, God doesn't really care. Why should we care? God really ignores them. We'll ignore them. And that sense of of just, well, whatever. I'm busy with my stuff. I can't do anything. So all of those those realities that resonate in our in our experience too, are expressed here as attitudes that that hinder. This first part of the psalm confronts us and asks us to evaluate our attitude towards the poor and the needy and the hungry. Are our hearts hard or are they touched with sadness for those affected by poverty and hunger? Psalm 10 is God's word inviting us to change our attitude from a wrong attitude to a right attitude, to hunger for doing what is right, a hunger for righteousness. Now, Psalm 10 speaks about hunger. It, it gives the sense of injustice, and that when we just have the, the example of hunger this morning, and, and it 
brings the sense of food justice to our attention. And in order to understand that more, to have a wider scope of the problem, what are the causes of hunger? And Psalm 10 says it's, it's human sin. It's sinful attitude that, that causes. And the main causes of hunger are conflict and war. That's one of the main causes. Where, where people come into conflict, where there is um, war, then in places too, crops are burned, uh, food is, is, is lacking because people are, are in refugee camps in Syria now too, all of the needs that are there. And, and so, so that reality of conflict, human conflict, human sin, causing all of the hunger or a great contributor to the hunger that's there. There's also stories of, of when we do try to bring food aid to certain, certain areas and then it goes in and then, and then the, the rebel leaders, the military people take the food and sell it for weapons instead of feeding their people. So why are people going hungry? It's, it's sin in people. It's, it's unthinkable that you wouldn't feed your starving people, but yeah, you're selling the food that's been given in order to buy more weapons and ammunition. The problem is human evil, human sin. You can add the cycle of poverty. There is always a sense in our economic system that those who are doing well continue to do better, and those who are doing poorly don't really get helped as much as they need. And that's especially true in developed countries. Farmers in developed countries who are poor cannot even access uh, even decent quality seed, and so they cannot get ahead even a little bit to supply themselves. And so you find those programs that uh, Margaret Njaguna mentioned too, to give microloans, just, just a few dollars, 20, 30, 50 dollars. And, and these people are... are help to make uh, a start, breaking the cycle of poverty. And then the decrease in farmland is, is something that's also very striking. Through a, a lack of training, people don't know how to care for the soil, and so it, it becomes uh, less productive. And then there's also the sense of, of the best farmland is taken by people who want to grow things for us. So the demand for coffee. Do you like coffee? Yeah, I like coffee. Where does that get grown? We have any coffee farmers here. The best land gets taken for coffee for us. And the very meager marginal land gets used by farmers trying to get just a little bit for themselves. It's not right. It's not good. And those realities continue to, to be out there and we choose to ignore or just not care. So Psalm 10 builds into that attitude that needs to change. And we can we can and we seek to do that. And we seek to do that through things like the, the bigger efforts, like the Food Grains Bank. Uh, tremendous, tremendous effort. Thanks to God and many are helped. And World Renew, 
which we'll take an offering for next week too, does, does amazing things. And Margaret Njaguna worked with people in Tanzania and gave microloans and did excellent work. How can we, though, with our attitude, also just be reminded of these things? And I just wanted to tie into our actual uh, experience of food. The example is food waste in North America. And the statistics are staggering. I wanted to ask you, before you eat, if you are sitting down to eat, before you eat, do you offer a word of prayer? I think many of us do, right? Before we eat, we pause for a moment, we offer a word of thanks to God. If you think about what happened to the food that's there, what happened to it before it got to your table. The general understanding is that the food that we have before us, over half is wasted before it gets there. That's in general, but with all of the the production and loss and shipping and everything else, that, that for everything to work its way through, before it actually appears before you, about half is lost, is lost through all kinds of different things. So that reality of, of what happens to the food that we eat, that's not right. And 30% of the fruits and vegetables in, in the store, they don't even get put out because we are so picky that we won't pick anything with a little spot or a little... And so it goes again. And is, is that okay? Is that right or not? All the food that's produced so that we can finally have a, a perfect piece of produce in front of us because we're not going to eat. What is that? That's arrogance. That's, that's denying all of the, the sense of God providing. So before we eat to recognize that that there is that reality of, of the wastefulness in our culture. Second thing, after we eat. Maybe you read the Bible or pray after you eat. But if you also think after you eat, in our culture, about 30% of the food gets thrown out. So 50% has been lost to your plate. You eat some of it. And then 30% gets thrown away again. Because, because I don't eat leftovers, forget it. That's in the garbage. Or, or something goes in the fridge for a couple days and then it's not worth eating and then it's gone. And there's just an attitude of, well, whatever. Waste. Things just thrown out. School lunches, kids take one bite and in the garbage. Is that okay? There's a sense of of entitlement, a sense of why do we do that? People throw away on average about 500 pounds of food a year. That's a lot of food. But ah, who cares? But we should care. Because that's not right. 
And finally, eating out. We have a sense of entitlement that we deserve to eat out once, twice, more times a week. If you eat out, you have to recognize restaurants double the amount of food waste before we eat and after we eat. We're not paying for something that's not perfect on the plate, folks. I'm sorry. And if it's cold, it can go back and they can make another plate. Thank you very much. And where does the first plate go? In the garbage. Health standards. Is that okay? I guess. I don't know. I want my perfect whatever. Attitude. What is your attitude? And then if you go to the restaurant and, and yeah, I'm not sure if you look around maybe and you see too people take a doggy bag. Ah, no. And half is left. There it goes. And even at fast food or fancy restaurants, doesn't matter. It just goes. It just gets dumped. Psalm 10 speaks into the sense of reminding us that God sees that there's a problem here. That God supplies, but we don't seem to recognize that. And that even in, as we handle food decisions, we are more sensitive to his providing and our responsibility to be responsible what he provides us and then to think of others. Psalm 10 is that kind of reminder that God does not condone excess or waste or feelings of entitlement that cause us to forget the helpless and the hungry like we do so easily. It says in verse 17, the poor call on God, and God hears and listens to their cries. In fact, they are gathered in churches this morning. Poor people go to church, not here, maybe, but throughout the world. They haven't had any breakfast this morning, and they don't expect any lunch today. But they're in church, worshiping the same God, calling on him. To provide for them. So we need to be aware that God blesses us to bless them, to care for them. And that God would work in our hearts by this food that we receive, by all the food that we receive, that we would see that as a calling to share with those in need. And so our hunger for justice is a desire to see people helped and God glorified. I wanted to close just with an example of, of what Canadian Food Grains Bank is doing. It's, uh, they sent out a little thing too, facing hunger. And, and there are many, many ways that we can assist, that we can help. And so there is a little thing, does it work or not? They have, uh, where they help uh, in Kenya, they're helping. Margaret is now going to be helping in Kenya too. And they, they just provide in simple ways. And it makes a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs>
Here, in this semi-arid region of southeastern Kenya, these ladies have something to celebrate. They used to have to walk 10 to 15 kilometers every day to collect water for their families. Now, they only need to walk one or two kilometers. In the 1960s, this dry region of Kenya was being consumed by the desert. Overgrazing, deforestation, and low rainfalls were taking its toll, and the small rivers that ran through the region were dry most of the year. The people living here had a choice. They needed to either make plans to move and let the creeping desert take over their homes and farms, or start making some drastic changes to the stewardship of their lands. They began to form self-help groups in their villages and started investigating ways in which they could begin the long road back to reclaiming their homeland. With the leadership of a local farmer, Joshua Makusia, the self-help groups began making terraces, planting trees, and erecting small concrete walls on their seasonal rivers to harvest the sporadic rains that did come each year. Then something happened that was not quite expected. Within two or three years of pouring the concrete walls that spanned the seasonal rivers, the riverbeds behind the walls would fill up with sand. At first, it might have seemed as though all of their efforts to harvest the rains had failed and they were left with nothing but sand. However, the local people knew better. There was water in that sand, lots of it. In fact, millions of liters of water. For millennia, the local people have survived the dry seasons in this part of Kenya by digging small holes in the dry riverbeds to find water. With water tables getting lower and lower every year, this practice was becoming more difficult and the holes were getting deeper and deeper. Now, the sand dams, as they are called, were collecting water at each dam point and conveniently storing it within the sand. Instead of all of the rainwater running off to the Indian Ocean, it was now being kept in the local region. The sand acted as a natural prevention against evaporation, and the people were once again able to collect water for themselves and their animals, even in the dry season, by simply digging small pits in the sand. Beginning in the 1990s, the Mennonite Central Committee, and now in association with the Canadian Food Grains Bank, began to partner with Joshua and his self-help groups, who formed their own locally registered NGO called the Utoni Development Organization. Primarily, through a Food for Work program, farmers in this region of Kenya were paid with food from Canada exchange for building sand dams, making terraces, and planting trees. Over the last five years, these hard-working groups have built over 250 sand dams, 
planted 650,000 drought-resistant trees, and constructed over 1 million meters of terraces. The program has introduced the local people to agricultural techniques that conserve water, enhance the soil, and use certified seeds for crops that are able to mature even during droughts. The overall impact of these technologies has been a dramatic rise in the water table throughout the region. Indigenous species of birds, fish and animals are returning. Even during the worst drought to hit this part of East Africa in 60 years, local farmers are still finding enough water to irrigate their fields. A land that was being consumed by the desert is now once again blooming with life and producing food for consumption and income. With the amazing success of this program, the Utoni Development Organization is being overwhelmed with requests from surrounding villages to come and also help them implement the same techniques in their communities. As Canadians continue to support this program, they can know that their generosity is helping transform the lives of people throughout this whole region of southeastern Kenya. With your help, the Canadian Food Grains Bank and the Mennonite Central Committee are bringing people closer to food and water security. And that is something to celebrate. Thank you for your generous support. Well, that's just one example. Hard-working people helped, given some help and support. Let's pray together.